right. Well, Nick, I wanted to get you back on since our last conversation. It was great on Twitter, but like Vicky said, the sound was too bad to try to post. And these, you know, questions, um, I don't know, people just, you know, write and then they ask, and it's nice to be able to bounce them around. You are incredibly switched on. Guys, if you've tuned in um, for the first time, check out some of our past conversations with Nick at the Pure Gold Company. Um, I like Nick. Uh, Nick gets what's happening, <laughs> if you all know. And I thought it was really cool to hear that you were uh, putting time out on Twitter. That's a badge of honor these days, Nick. Oh, I know. Yeah, I got banned for, for reposting some. <laughs> not, not that I consider it controversial in the slightest, but uh, this is even when Elon took over. So uh, I don't know whether it's any better than it was before. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That's so funny to me that they banned you. I mean, like, really, it was nothing. But, yeah, so that's why we're, we're talking about this today. I mean, in March, we were talking about um, the bank runs because that was right in the middle of the craziness. We had, you know, what, four or five major U.S. banks mm. kind of just, uh, you know, uh, go in disaster mode. And so we did a, we did a discussion around uh, this kind of bank crisis. And then today... When I posted, Nick, you said that you actually really wanted to talk about what the government was doing with CBDCs. Yeah, I think it really links in well with, with what we were talking about a couple of months ago with the start of the bank runs. And it all seems to be coincidentally tying together quite nicely. And maybe I'm just being a bit too conspiratorial about it, but I've just been reading this paper and I, I wanted to share with your audience kind of what I think is one of the most important papers I've read recently and, and what the implications um, of a central bank digital currency uh, are going to be on our banking system and ultimately the safety of, of people's cash just sat there in the bank. Um, so, I mean, wait, before I, you get into it, wait, before you get into it, I just want to make a plug, you guys. We've been discussing the CBDCs uh, and the work that we've been passing on. We made it a thread on the UK Citizen 2021 uh, mm -hmm. recent consultancy paper they did. So this mm -hmm. discussion goes perfect with that whole make sure your voice, you know, you're voicing your opinion. Even when you roll your eyes at another email you have to write, you know, we do need to push back on this. And so this discussion, you know, Nick, before I hand over the floor, will further kind of give you some more fluency on why this is such a big deal to make sure that uh, we, we, we are very vocal about our, you know, concerns. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a nice follow on and, and colliery of that of that 2021 paper. Um, but yeah, basically over the last week, um, I've just read the consultation paper and it's very boring. It's very sad that I've even had the time to go through all of it. But it's called the proposal of the digital pound, a consultation for the proposal of the digital pound. And I'll happily share a link um, with the group. Um, just in case nobody believes what I'm actually saying, because it's pretty crazy stuff, but I'll, I'll post it on there. It, it's a real, it's a long read and a lot of it's quite boring, um, but it's now official. Um, it was released really, really discreetly through the back door um, back in February, actually. So along with a number of other reports kind of laying out the roadmap for this, this CBDC. Um, but this is the official document from the government. And to say the least, Jennifer, it, it's dystopian. I mean, it's outrageous. And I, I don't want to spoil people's evenings when it's so nice like this. But 
it's, it's so important that people actually know what's going on now. Um, but yeah, when I share the link, I think before I begin, one of the weirdest things about this paper um, is it hasn't come from Parliament. Um, it was presented to Parliament by command of the Crown. So King Charles now sitting in his new position. So if you look at this paper, it's got no documentation above from the government. It's got the royal family's crest right at the very top of it. I know this sounds so conspiratorial and silly, but it's not. Um, it's got the crown's copyright all over it, which, which you, your audience will see their coat of arms at the very top as well. So I'm just I'm sitting here asking myself, like, why? Why the hell is King Charles commanding that we use? A digital currency. I mean, it's beyond me, um, but it looks to me like he's actively intervening in UK government policy, which, of course, he's um, he's prohibited from doing. But look, guys, they, they launched this paper back in February uh, as a kind of it, it's like a four month consultation process. It's not a, a consultation at all. They've already made their mind up with what they're doing. Um, but essentially, it takes us through to, to June. So next month. Um, and that's when the, the consultation is going to be completely closed down uh, and they're going to move on with, with the next stage of it. Um, but they've really done this so, so stealthily. It's not been on the news or anything else. It's pretty difficult to find. I mean, I, I nearly missed this report myself, for goodness sake. And I sit here staring and talking about this pretty much all day. Um, but when, if, if you have a look at this report, I mean, from the very beginning, they, they point blank lie really about what the, what they're doing they say they're not currently building the infrastructure for a cbdc it's too early etc etc even though we all know by now um kind of rishi sumak's father-in-law um i mean he's got the contract to build this thing with his firm in Foses. the bank of england are advertising all over their website for software developers um in order to help create it so again that that's a lie in itself but just to cut to a long story short, guys, like what, what are they actually saying this CBDC is going to be? Well, they highlight it and they spell it out in a lot of detail. Um, so what it's going to be primarily is, is a retail CBDC um, that they'll be using for households where they intend to basically get rid of cash entirely. They, they do not want anybody using cash. And at the beginning of the paper, they recognise themselves that about 20% uh, of people in the UK still want to use cash. I mean, 1.2 million people in the UK don't even have a bank account. But all that seems to be swept under the carpet. And, and, and the first point that, that, that they talk about um, is that the end users in the UK, so citizens of the UK, you and I, um, we basically interact uh, directly with, with these kind of digital wallets, if you like. Um, rather than directly with the banks, we're each going to have a digital wallet, which will essentially be kept with the Bank of England. I know we discussed that a few months ago, um, Jennifer, that they're probably going to try and cut out the commercial banks as they don't want that competition. Um, but I mean, I'll, I'll come on to that bit in a minute. But um, what they're saying is that this digital pound or Bitcoin, as they're colloquially calling it, and these wallets, um, they're going to be privacy protected to begin with. So just in the same way as we've got bank cards and bank accounts, we've got our own kind of passwords and nobody else can get into them. But they're not going to be anonymous. There's going to be no anonymity at all. And the reason they give that is, is obviously not to prevent financial crime. They think it's going to solve money laundering, et cetera. But um, 
what they've said is they're going to use some kind of form of um, innovative kind of cryptography um, in order to create some some kind of new novel financial institution whereby um, they will be able to see everything. So it doesn't matter what you buy, whether it's, I don't know, cheese in the shop, a chocolate bar, a beer, nothing is private and everything is going to be digital. So I don't know, you, you want to go and buy some wine in, in the supermarket. You don't just have to kind of get your, your ID out like a normal person now in, in the shops to buy it. For some reason, everything's going to be digital. So it's going to have your ID on it as well. So everything's going to be connected. So I know we've spoken about this as well before, Jennifer, but it, it doesn't take a because it doesn't take a genius to figure out um, this is going to be linked to your social credit score, your carbon score. Um, why else would they need to bring all this information um, into a digital currency unless they were going to link it all, all together? And of course, we know from the WEF's website um, that that's exactly what, what the ultimate aim is. So, look, I, I don't think they're going to tell us exactly when they're going to try and implement it. Um, they're they're going to kind of wait for they'll wait for some kind of distraction in the media, some useless kind of manufactured information that we've been seeing over the last few years. They'll put that on twenty four seven in order to distract everybody, and and that's obviously when they're going to start implementing this thing. Um, just like with Ukraine, COVID, whatever narrative they want to cook up next. If you want even more proof of this, if you go onto that link that I'm going to send at the end of this on page fourteen, um, they expressly state that this digital currency, and, and this is quote-unquote, is going to be designed um, to support the government's commitment to mitigate climate change and get to net zero. So how the hell they intend to, to enforce that, I don't know, but I think we can all probably guess as well that's going to include 15-minute cities, no flying, no red meat. They're going to come down on everything. Um, but that is one of the main tenets for, de for, for kind of developing this CBDC. It's to help climate change and get to net zero. I mean, it's it absolute insanity. And for them to even spell it out in this paper, I mean, we all knew about it, but for them to even say it, it, it it's mad. Um, but I mean, I, I know I'm going on, guys, but if you if you carry on rolling um, through this report, I mean, there's another 40 pages. It's all really, really bore, boring reading. You get to another point that's even more disturbing about it. Um, and they've basically laid out a three-stage roadmap um, on when they actually intend on, on implementing it. So stage one, by the way, is already done. They've already completed that. They've done the research. They've got the technic technical team ready that are developing this. Phase two is estimated to be finished by 2023 to 2025. And the pilot for the actual rollout of this CBDC they want to have it launched by 2025. And, and I think for me, when I was reading it, that's what's not me for six. As I, I generally thought we had a hell of a lot more time um, to, to kind of prepare and get ready for this. I, I generally thought it would probably be closer to 2028, maybe 2030. But they want to have this rolled out. Well, the pilots of it anyway, by 2025. So the intention is that if everything goes according to plan, is they're going to have this programmable currency that's going to wrap together, like I said, your carbon, your social, your digital ID by 2025. And I think the reason they're trying to expedite this and push it through as fast as possible, I don't know whether you'd agree, Jennifer, but it's because more people are starting to, to, to wake up. The pendulum is starting to swing the other day, the other way, sorry. And like, Maybe a year, two years ago, nobody knew what a CBDC was and they had no idea. But a lot of people that I'm starting to speak to at the company now, 
maybe they're not entirely red pilled. They're not they're not awake yet as to what's going on, but they've even heard of a CBDC. So look, that's why I think they're trying to push it through. Um, and then look, if, finally, if you get all the way then down to the very bottom of this report, another kind of 40, 50 pages of waffle that, that's designed to kind of put you off reading it. Um, and look, th this, I think, is one of the most important things about the whole paper is they start talking. Um, you'll, you'll see it in part C if anyone's interested, but they start talking about um, monetary and financial stability. Um where they, they kind of expressly talk about uh, the, the, the speed and the transition um, uh, of the CBDC, what the uptake's going to be like um, throughout the, the population, how many people are going to adopt it. Um, and ultimately, what effect that's going to have on the business models of our retail banks, which is obviously what we were talking about, what, six, eight weeks ago, Jennifer. So that is so, so important because it looks to me like they're just going to get all the retail banks and they're going to use them as, as like a sacrificial lizard's tail. And they're going to let them go under in order to kind of speed in the implementation of, of, of this digital currency. And, and look, what, what they say is um, the rollout. Here we go. I've got a quote here for it. Um, the rollout might affect monetary stability. That's, that's what they write in the paper. But they they know full well it's not it's not a, a might affect monetary stability it's going to they know full well it's going to cause a run on the banks uh, and they say it even in black and white they've even got the audacity to write this in the paper um so <laughs> another quote they i've got written down here um they do not seek to preserve the current financial system or any commercial business model in the banking system they explicitly write that in there. And to me, guys, that is absolutely shocking. So they know when they launch this CBDC, it's going to lead to a loss of deposits from the banks. Um, and obviously, yeah, we know from re recent history, um, you see a, a kind of a major large scale outflow from the banks. It's game over for that bank. I mean, they go under. There's no way they can survive it. So <laughs> everybody knows they're coming. And the Bank of England have even actually come up with a word for, the, for, for, for this kind of event that we're going to see when we go for the transition from a CBDC uh, and we start these bank runs. They've even got a word for it now. And, and it's called bank disintermediation. The fact that they've even come up with like a phrase for it to me is, is quite worrying now. So um, they've come up with like various solutions as to why they think, uh, well, how they might be able to save the banks, etc. But ultimately, they're, they're going to let them go under. Um, and Nick, it, it just it, it's crazy. Sorry, Jennifer. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I want to add I, I want to jump in because, you know, look. It is really daunting. You pick up a paper like that and it's like, whoa, section mm. C. Oh, and and I get, <laughs> I get it. I I mean, and and this is the part that I I want us to be really firm on and be very vocal, guys. Because look, this is some dude's like presentation. All right. Now, yeah, they're mm. using all the crown and the and all the logos, and they're getting the endorsement from Prince Charles. I mean, did we actually think Prince Charles? Man, it makes you wonder who is actually you know presenting this under the guise mm -hmm. of what. And clearly this means, this signifies the exit out of the current financial system. And yeah. it's almost like a bidding. It's like this guy put his hat in with all the crown, you know, from the corner, from the crown. Okay, great. I mean, what's like, 
since when is the crown, like you said, dictating this, you know, financial policy here? Parliament didn't do this. This came from somewhere. So if someone mm -hmm. can do that, you know, um, we, we, the people then have to step up and say, okay, okay, we get it. Your system you created is dying. You fucked, excuse me, you've, you've messed up the current financial system and it's so bad. Clearly, this is only going to get worse if you, as you guys have debased our currency. Now we need to create a system that is, is, is trusted and verified. So, it, you know, it's not that it's on blockchain that it's the bad thing. It's not even that it's on dig, a, a digital currency, because literally one can argue when you turn on your app, your money is digital, as you said, it everywhere. It's the, frag, it's the broken, fragmented payment system that causes these problems. It's the Ponzi central bank system. It's the regulatory, you know, if, and financial interests from third parties that have been, you know, it's, it's the abuse of power, ultimately. This, the, the current financial system is. And just because the crown presents this doesn't mean we have to accept it. Because here's why. The kind of technology they want to use to, on this CBDC is going to completely game, you know, game change the financial sector. I mean, I believe gold will be on blockchain. It already is. And, and we're going to be seeing more and more commodities trading on blockchain and the tokenization of. But that does not mean and is not synonymous with creepy evil surveillance. And we have to be the ones that say no. And this is why we're educating on both blockchain and, you know, distributed ledger technology as well as the importance of holding physical silver and gold in your hand outside the system. Because ultimately, those that have the gold make the rules. 6,000 plus years of history show us that. So this is, I want to make this distinction, and I'm happy to answer questions later. I don't want to take over Nick's conversation on this. But I want people to kind of hear and see how I'm interpreting the changing of the financial system. I mean, just because their plan is presented, you know, this innovation will backfire. Like I said, we can create our own wallets. We'll be able to create our own bank accounts, our own savings accounts. The best savings right now is with physical gold and silver. Um, but that doesn't mean that this new financial system is this one-stop shop, you know, crown Prince Charles stamp. But we have to really be aggressive and, and, um, and, and push back on areas that we don't want uh, to see because there are elements that can be applied for good. You know, like trusted and verification. You know, understanding the the, the privacy of, of of these wallets, and I think there could be a lot of applications that could work well. But in in terms of what they're presenting, it is a freak show. It is a horror nightmare to think that they're going to funnel us out of one broken system into the next broken system. And whether we burn it upon entry or we have a go and burn it later, the whole thing will have to come down because that kind of stuff that you're reading, we're reading and you've presented, Nick, is, is not where we're at. Society is going to get so sick and tired of this, this game. The inflation mm -hmm. often starts prices of everything, seeing, you know, their, the, the basement of the currency, manipulation of money. This is why it is so important that you have at least some gold and silver in your possession, because that's the real deal. No matter what they do to the markets, these, you know, pet rocks <laughs> are the real money of thousands of years. And that's where you you be able you'll always have a bit of autonomy and be able to make your own rules when you have that. And people are now waking up to the importance of their personal sovereignty and the importance of having, you know, these things in their possession.
So I, I didn't want to go on a rant there, but I, I, I listened to you and it riles me up to the point where I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, hell no. We are not to one freak show to another. You know, we've got to start, you know, educating people, talking about this under, you know, and getting, getting this message out. Um, you know, and I love, I love the way you're kind of unpacking this, this paper for us, um, because it does help people see the points that really just don't make sense. You know, the fact that the banks are clearly afraid of a collapsing system. They're already ushering in the new, you know, this system. I mean, not, excuse me, not the banks, but you see what I mean? This third party crown paper, you know, that want to push all the banks in. But, you know, if, if they're not, if they're in this debt-based Ponzi scheme we're in, there's going to be a moment of transition and there will be held there. And I think that like we've seen in the past, there's going to be people that have to, you know, live through this banking crisis. What we're trying to do is mitigate that hell um, and, and by talking about it and, you know, kind of unpacking each layer. I don't know. What do you think? Are you think you think there's just this is just a one way road to hell? <laughs> <laughs> Look, Jennifer, you're absolutely right. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. They even mentioned that. Um, distributed ledger technology is a threat in the paper. They even acknowledge that. And they're really, really quick to, to, to kind of discredit a, a number of cryptocurrencies and obviously the, the innovation that that can provide. So, and again, they say, oh, it's a threat because of money laundering, et cetera. No, it's a threat to them. Cut the bullshit. We know exactly, exactly why they don't want them. No one launders more than they do. So, you know, there are positives to a new system that creates parameters to which they can't move dirty money. And exactly. so, you know, and, and that's what we, we need to call them out on that. We, you know, if you're going to play the game on us, the parameters will have to go two ways. And there's, there's, there can't be this debt schemed, you know, debate, you know, currency, this fiat lawful by, you know, legal degree that, that just that has to end. So we need metals. You need to bring back gold and silver. So we'd have to demand, you know, that hard asset, uh, you know, for these, you know, something real and tangible uh, for this money to be built around. Exactly that. And, and you, you said, like, what, what's this transition going to look like? I mean, uh... I've got no idea. I can probably speculate about it, but look, they, they state that during this transition, basically they state this, the CBDC, that's going to be exchangeable for cash and bank deposits. But how the hell are they going to make the transition? Um, how, how are they going to make that work for commercial bank deposits to a CBDC? It just doesn't, doesn't make any sense at all. Are they going to have to double the money su supply with a CBDC to match kind of what already exists in the banking system with the commercial banks? That would obviously lead to hyperinflation immediately. Um, or is it going to be something even darker where they just collapse the system uh, just before, I don't know, a bank holiday, pe people's deposits will, will be wiped out. Look, just, just like with First Republic, it's always announced on that Friday before a bank holiday. Well, again, they even give us some foresight into how they see it playing out in the paper again. So what they're going to do, they're going to give you a limit as to how much you're allowed to, to, to hold in currency in your account. In the paper, Jennifer, they say that's um, 10 to 20 grand. That's how much you're going to be capped on keeping. And look, that, that's so worrying because <laughs> what's the impact going to be on anyone with more than 20K in their bank? So they're going to limit the degree to which you're actually going to be able to get your money out of the bank. 
well, your, your fiat as it stands at the moment in the system. And, and adding insult to injury as well, they even suggested that limit could be 5,000, which is just, I mean, it's absolutely insane. So how it pans out, I've got no idea, but that people are certainly going to lose um, large amounts of existing fiat that, that sat there um, at the moment. But um, but yeah, I'm just, just looking at the final, I'm just trying to summarise the report as much as I can, because there's so many pages to it, and I've just tried to pick up the most important bits. But um, what they've also suggested as well um, is they use some real technical jargon about um, interest rates and how CBDCs will allow the Bank of England to set interest rates and, and the optimum kind of equilibrium interest rate. I won't get into technicalities of it. It's bloody boring. But what it basically means is they're going to be allowed to employ negative interest rates against you. So if you don't spend your money in a particular amount of time, you're going to get a minus 3% interest rate, whatever they seem it, whatever they want it to be, basically. Look, if you're going to go and buy goods that they consider undesirable, well, look, you'll get a ding against your wallet and you'll be put into negative rates. So th this, this is all coming. And, and what's even more disturbing at the end of this report is they're actually going to build a revenue model into this. I, I just couldn't get over this. They're just trying to add insult to injury. But they're going to build a revenue model into it where they're going to charge you transaction fees. This is on page 57, by the way, guys, just in case anyone wants to look at it. Um, you'll, you'll be charged transaction fees um, for, for you and I. I don't know why they need to charge us those, but hey-ho, they're going to try and do that. Um, they'll, they'll use commercial use um, of your data. So basically, they'll just sell your data to vested interests, um, probably big corporations, Facebooks and the like. Um, and they'll try and introduce as well subscription and product services for value add. So basically a new form of VAT. That's what it sounds like to me. Um, and then they start talking about um, uh, certain firms will be given their, their kind of own central bank um, wallets, uh, particularly in the kind of media space. They mentioned media providers and broadcasters. I mean, wake up, guys. If, if you're viewing information that they don't see as... Um, uh, as, as, as right think well they just shut your, vo your, your wallet down as well um and and they're going to give law enforcement agencies access to these wallets as well so and, and just look what happened with those go on sorry jennifer sorry i didn't mean to i didn't mean to interrupt but like ledger recently just did this you know complete u-turn sure. community where it's like they allow for subpoenas and can turn over dot you know like the, there's we just had a conversation about, you know, the private keys access that they said would never happen and now can happen. And it's almost like they're using this fear. I mean, obviously, DLT, you know, is a, is a threat. They want everyone from one paddock to the next. They don't want you to have your own wallet and to be able to transact outside their system. So they'll use features, you know, like here's 500 pounds for shopping that expires in three days or, mm -hmm. you know, give and so it'll like it'll it'll be that bait, which will, you know, obviously seem appealing and then have all those, you know, parameters and code written on it where they can have access to give your data away and shut down your uh, wallet. And this is this is what we want to avoid. That sounds like bullshit. I mean, complete garbage. Uh, and so that's why it's, you know, we're we're talking about this. Vicky, did you want to say something quickly? You were texting. Yeah, so I wanted to kind of just quickly scroll back to the timeline and the um, implied acceleration of everything being brought forward, obviously, to 2025. And it was something we'd always kind of muted 
um, potentially surrounding the death, obviously, of the Queen, is that one thing they're not going to want to do is spend millions printing loads of uh, cash and coins, and it would provide the perfect platform to launch this, wouldn't it? And so I wonder if the acceleration was literally potentially, you know, linked to the Queen's death in that kind of way. Vicky, I, you know what? I think that's a great point. I hadn't even thought about that. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, they want to get rid of cash anyway, and they, they've already been going on about it. I mean, cash was obviously the greatest uh, threat when it came to spreading corona and everything else, all of that nonsense. So look, absolutely. I think that's a great, a great point. I, I'd not even thought about that. Which could explain why all this consultancy is coming from the crown. You know, there's, I mean, look, guys, we've we've openly talked across a numerous sectors and industries, you know, about the infiltration. Something somebody else seems to be pulling the strings here. So <laughs> it's almost like there's direction on everything, um, and that's why we're talking because it's time they start taking direction from the people. <laughs> Um, and that's why we are be having these kind of uh, conversations. Uh, Nick, you know, when you see this this happening, how long do you think before we start seeing bank runs and, uh, you know, those liquidity where they freeze our accounts? I mean, I think there was something recently where Biden was talking about freezing U.S. accounts. Yeah, I mean, if, if they could, they'd do it immediately. I mean, in terms of further bank runs, whenever they try and hike interest rates, rates sorry, it never happens immediately. You'll end up with a couple of banks getting into trouble, but they travel through time. And typically the full impact of those interest rate hikes is felt kind of three, six, nine months late, kind of down the line. So this is the tip of the iceberg. We haven't seen anything yet. Yes, they've managed to put a lid on it with the, the bank runs that we've seen. Um, but inevitably, there's going to be many more to come, particularly when they carry on trying to jack up rates. So um, it really wouldn't surprise me if in the coming months we, we saw a whole new slew of them. Um, I mean, it's it's never kind of contained, usually within two to three months. It, if history dictates that it always takes far, far longer for the real effects of these hikes to, to, to be felt. Um, and I think given that they, they've all kind of gorged on these bonds with, with very, very low returns, they keep jacking up rates. It's going to cause the, the value of those to plunge even further and, and a lot more banks are going to get into trouble. So I've got no idea. We just know there, there are going to be a lot more of them, Jennifer, absolutely. Um, but yeah, they would. They would. It would just be like Trudeau when when he kind of shut down the the Canadian truckers. If you take your mind back to that, um, I mean, they're they're just passing like the Restrict Act. That's going through multiple countries at the moment, which will, will ban kind of um, misinformation. Um, you, you've seen how they treated like the anti-monarchy protesters a few meets, weeks ago, and whatever you thought about them. Obviously, a lot of them are complete nutters, but they were just carted off for just taking part in legitimate protest. So they they will shut your accounts down, um, come what may, as they see fit. That's their that's their ultimate aim, uh, and for for me that's terrifying. And the, the funny thing is actually linking it back to gold, Jennifer. They they said really subtly as well at the end of the report, um, which I found really interesting from uh, obviously being in, in in the gold industry myself. But um, and I missed this on my first reading of the report too. But they state that if there is a completely stable currency. So it's a back, it's backed against actual liabilities with our central bank, i.e. against gold. They're still going to introduce it. So <laughs> I just <laughs> why bother even mentioning like the possibility of a, a kind of perfectly stable current currency like we had under the gold standard? Um, 
if if they weren't contemplating that too. They're obviously thinking about going back to a gold standard. I mean, we know all the BRICS countries are doing it as we speak. They're already developing it. They said in February they're going back to a gold standard. Um, but for them to subtly acknowledge the fact that that we could potentially go back um, to to a stable currency, potentially under a gold standard, um, for me was quite shocking. But then again, even if we do, they're still going to push this CBDC through anyway, and they're going to um, kind of back it against gold. I think that that will be the the natural conclusion. But yeah, it, it's a smoking gun. I mean, I, I couldn't. This is the worst paper I've ever read. Um, most most people won't even bother reading it, and I think they rely on that, and they feel it was so much rubbish. Um, but th- those are the kind of main points that that I took out of it. It is interesting. I mean, I it, it you know there are theories around um, you know this well I guess uh, this rainbow of currencies and a quantum financial system, you know, using these blockchain technologies, and I'm you know I see the positive side of the blockchain. I just can't, I, 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 but I can't get behind, you know, a government surveillance coin, you know, something that is written in the code to basically create you docile and compliant and in line with, with what they're presenting us. So I am always going to be, you know, asking questions and looking into these things and trying to find ways to make them better. Um, they might try to roll out the CBDC. I've heard this, and I can't remember where, or no, it was Jim Willie, you know, a few months back about uh, the potential threat of a fake gold-backed digital currency. And that point you just made, uh, you know, at the very end of the paper there, this could be their attempt where they say, oh, but this is the buy-in, right? This is where we... You know, we have our, our Nixon moment where, you know, we're, we're going to go back on it now, the temporary flip. Now it's 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 OK because it's gold backed. Um, but yet mm-hmm. we still reserve the right to dot, 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 you know, and all these you know listed creepy things. So <laughs> it is it is something that we're going to have to really uh, pay attention to and and follow and make sure that, we, again, we continue to push back on this because, you know, some can argue a lot of this of what we're seeing is to really wake people up uh, to get them really, you know, uh, exposed to the massive corruption. And it's not just in just a paper presented, but it's it's what's happening every day right now and has been going on. You know, this is why this system has to fail. You know, this system now can target our, our, our wallets and shut down our accounts anytime. Nick, you know, it just happened to me recently. JP Morgan not kicked me out a few years ago for whatever. I mean, what? then PayPal, Venmo, and now recently one of my local banks. I look them up and they're all in support of this environmental and social governance bill, which is all hail the globalist agenda. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, really? I couldn't believe it. I went into all the bank managers to talk. I, you know, it was just, they said, it's out of our control. It's a letter from corporate office. I'm really sorry. And I'm like, what? You know, screw you all. I like, I cannot <laughs> wait for you all to fail because this is where that, that blasted DLT, those blockchain, you know, when they start pushing us and telling us where we can and can't converse and how we can, this is where we pull out the seashells you know, and the coins from under the couch and we start bartering and we start doing this, you know, locally trading and, and all of this, you know, and people will do that because there will be a point where all payment systems will be out 
or, you know, it's, you know, where the, whether it's a national grid or it's just, you know, payments readjusting to a new system. Um, and I think I really do believe, Nick, that there will be a backfire. You know, they'll, they'll try it on and people will, you know, it'll, it'll be too much by that point. The lid will be out. You know, the people will, that people will recognize how, how corrupt, you know, the system we've been under and the same corrupt individuals want us to buy their new system. Absolutely not. It's not happening. But, you exactly. know, there is light at the end of the tunnel, though. Absolutely. Jennifer. I don't want to like I know I just kind of it's all doom and gloom and it, it may sound really, really depressing. And that's not the kind of not what I want to get across. There certainly is light at the end of the tunnel. It's just how much pain they're going to try and inflict on everybody until this system inevitably does collapse because it will. Yeah, these, these kind of like cent these centralized okay. systems always fail. They always do. Alan, I see your hand. Well, I'll, I'll, we'll open the floor to questions in just a minute. Um, well, I guess what I, uh, Nick, I totally lost my train of thought there. <laughs> uh, I guess the, the, the reason why, you know, gold and silver again come back as the most resilient way to protect your assets. You know, whether you want to think of them as savings, um, you know, again, comes back to that freedom that you hold your hands, you, you hold your wealth in your hands, you're preserving it because these same criminals that are paddling, you know, paddocking us, you know, for corralling us from one paddock to the next are the same people that are gobbling up uh, these, you know, reserves. So just really quick before we open the floor and are we sort of addressing some of the questions specifically on gold and silver? Can we talk about banks buying gold and what what you're seeing there and and that? Yeah, so it's it's not really the Western banks at the moment that are buying it, of course, Jennifer, or at least that we know of anyway, because so many of the central bank transfers don't actually get reported at all. Um, but what we do know, again, China and Russia the, this month uh, have bought more gold this year than we've seen. <laughs> Just when you think they couldn't get any more, will they go and buy more? We know well, why it is. The BRICS nations? Sorry, say that again, Jennifer. Aren't these the BRICS nations? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the BRICS nations, they're all coming together and, uh, and they're, they're going to try and get rid of the petrodollar and, and form their own currency. I mean, the Saudis have already started accepting the, the renminbi, which is now kind of de facto backed by gold anyway. Um, they're, they're going to come together, have their own gold backed. Um, I don't know. Look, it looks like they're probably developing a CBDC as well. The Chinese are so ahead of everybody, but they are just buying as much gold as they can get their hands on because they know, well, when we finally pull the uh, pull the plug, those that are left with, with most gold are going to be dictating the rules of the new financial system um, geopolitically. Exactly, which is why everybody here needs to go buy gold and silver, <laughs> because we need to be part of that club making the rules. I really do believe we have to speak out. Alan, do you want to say something? Hi, guys. Hey. Uh, yeah, you can um, Just a, a couple of things worth pointing out. Uh, maybe some. Maybe I'll throw some positives in. I don't know if it's positives so or some some a, a different perspective, perhaps. Um, a lot of you obviously are well aware of what's happening uh, in America at the moment, which I think is pivotal. Um, and I think we're getting very, very close um, to, shall we say, some resolution one way or another. Um, to put in perspective, by probably June the 8th, America will definitely be out of money. And that will be a U.S. default. Uh, a U.S. default in in simple terms means that they can't pay their interest 
and they're going to have to put rates up 20%. Mm. Um, so what we're talking about there is um, them becoming Greece. So they've got two choices there, uh, which is default um, or stop spending. And this is the point they're in. Stop spending or default. The Republicans put laws in ready, so they've actually voted on it, ready to go to cut back the spending. And it's pretty damn clear the Democrats know that they've lost either way because they're going to get one year and then they're back at the table again. So I've, I would say we're talking about an 80% default potential at the moment. Why that's important is we're, well, there's two things to bear in mind. In June, 81 countries are meeting to decide what the new gold standard is, but without America. Um, which, you know, you can have all the digital currencies you want, but if you can't buy because you're, you're using some shite that nobody wants internationally, <laughs> yeah, how are you going to be able to buy anything? Well, you know, rich people become poor people because they've got something nobody wants to trade with. And the other thing is that one thing you should expect, because, you know, this is, we're all in a weird position to understand what's going on, um, my my best guess is if we do default, uh, we're at a World War One 1914 situation with the stock market. Um, mm -hmm. Those who know financial history will know that the stock market shut for months uh, during 1914. I think it was five months that we shut for. It might have been longer. Um, and it stopped any money getting out internationally. So if there's a default, expect the markets just to shut and nobody will be getting the money out from anywhere. And I would say that's a positive thing. I'll let you, I'll give you my positive spin. If that goes down, then as we all know, or most of us should know, that they've got the, um, the on the de US debt clock, they've been advertised in the new US Treasury dollar. If the Treasury dollar comes through, as expected, then it doesn't matter what England thinks it would like to do, it's just not going to be able to do it. And the biggest bank in the world, which covers now only 47% of global currency, is the dollar. And when the dollar, or should we call it the Fed dollar goes, then the US Treasury dollar can come in its place. And uh, beyond that, we roll into the la-la land because we haven't got a bloody clue. Um, but I, I suspect one of two things is going to happen. We're going to default and they're going to have to be forced to bring back the, the U.S. Treasury dollar for the third time. As you know, it was the um, greenback and then it was a silver dollar certificate. Um, or um, we agree or the Dems agree to basically bend over and stop spending. And then that allows them to lower rates anyway. So I don't think things are as bad as we were certainly given a, a, a stark image because it's needed to be wake up people and go bloody clue. But I think we are now close to that um, financial end game uh, one way or another. So that's, that's my little piece. Oh, that, that's so succinctly put. I, I, I do agree with it to an extent. And then, yeah, I read a report this morning, actually, that said that if they do default, that the stock market could crash by as much as well, kind of up to 45%. You know, that's just um, 
kind of a projection uh, but final again financial history would dictate that yes it can crash that much but do i actually think there'll be a default i don't know they always miraculously pull the rabbit out the hat don't they at the nth degree it's a pissing contest between the, the democrats and the republicans and there's a lot of gerrymandering and horse trading and at the very last moment they seem to, to to increase it again they've done that so i mean i think they've only defaulted three times but and there are so many vested interests amongst pretty much every politician in America. They're all trading the market. Are, are they actually going to let it default uh, and cause themselves so much financial harm? I don't know. I, I don't think so. But they could do. If, if it does, then, yeah, the markets will close for, for a very long period of time. And, and that will cause a hell of a lot of panic. What happens to the price of gold at that point? I don't know. But I'm, well, I'm certainly erring on the side that they won't default yet. They'll kick the can down a little bit more. With gold, isn't it? Because gold could... Uh, this is the opportunity for gold is if they they, they do uh, decide to default. And I think there's, this is why there's an 8% chance. The Republicans have put it into law already. It's been voted on in Congress. And most of this channel will probably know that they also weighted in the dollar as a weight of gold. So that is a weird thing to do unless you really wanted to default. Uh, so I think they want to default. They've made it so difficult for the Democrats. They're going to have to default. And that's why the dollar is voted in as a weight of gold as well. I mean, that would certainly be very good for us if that happens. I mean, I personally, I don't think it will, Alan, but I, I mean, it'd be very interesting to see what would happen if that did pan out. All right. Well, I wanted to open the floor to some of the questions in the thread. Is that okay? So this yeah, yeah, far, yeah, far away. But, but thank you, thank you, Alan, for adding that. Um, yeah, you make some really excellent points there. Will they default? I mean, what? It's almost like they'll always pull that magical hat or rabbit out of the hat. But then, what if this is the time that it, they don't? That's that's. I guess that's what everybody keeps wanting to know. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Um, okay, so Nick, since we last spoke. I've had a few questions around moving gold um, across, uh, like whether it's like England to Spain or England to somewhere else across the world. You know, can you talk about that? Do you buy it in the UK and take it with you? Do you have it shipped to wherever you're going? I mean, how do you suggest people do this? Both, you know, simplistic ways and, you know, maybe to avoid extraneous taxing. Yeah, like it, it's certainly become much more of a problem after Brexit because we can't get it through a lot of customs authorities, or we can, but without an extended delay, usually of kind of three, four, five weeks plus. They just leave it there. Um, they, they lose track of it. And then, of course, it causes like so much panic from, from our end, uh, particularly with our back office teams. They've got to track it down. I mean, everything's fully insured, of course, but people obviously buy their gold and then they're, they're waiting a couple of months to get it. It's not ideal. So we've been offering people free storage, of course, if they're living abroad and they're going to take delivery of it. So we just give them a year free for that reason. Um, while we've kind of sought out alternative arrangements now, we've got no problem delivering to, to North America. That, that's really easy. A couple of European countries um, don't have such aggressive um, rules when, when it comes to imports. But yeah, at the moment, we are struggling, particularly with Spain and Portugal, which for us, with the expat community there, was, was such a, a good market. Um, yeah, look, a lot of people will fly over here and then go back on the Channel Tunnel um, or, or the ferry. Um, they, they can take the gold with them then. That's not a problem. 
there are ways around it but if anybody uh, is looking for delivery at the moment uh, particularly to, to kind of spain and portugal and france to an extent as well then we're just offering them free storage until we can come up with a, a more efficient solution but yeah they, they don't make our lives easy at all when it comes to that are there ways to mitigate this i had a question around wearing jewelry versus <laughs> taking coins yeah, look, I've I've got an American client of mine and he'll actually fly back to the States with about 200 grand with him and they never stopped him because um, under that premise, you'd have to what, stop everybody that was flying around with a you know, 250 grand Rolex on your arm. So the only reason they did stop him actually is they, they thought it was like um, shotgun cartridges or something like that. And then they, they just waved him through as soon as they saw it was gold. So. Um, we've never had anybody stopped. Um, a lot of Asian countries have got very onerous rules about it, so I wouldn't want to do it there. But between Europe and, and to America, um, I've, I've not had any issues, put it that way, um, with my client base. I'm certainly not suggesting that's always going to be the case or nobody might not encounter any issues. But so far to date, we, we haven't found any. So the guy flew with 200,000 pounds worth of gold? Yeah, absolutely. In his suitcase or carry-on? Yeah, I think we basically we deliver it in like a little suitcase anyway. But it, um, yeah, I, I presume he just took it on in that. You do? I want a suitcase from the dear. <laughs> I demand to see a picture. <laughs> That's cool. All right, so you have a little carry bag, and he just uh, took it through like any other carry-on luggage. Um, well. Look, I don't, I don't actually know how he got there. I mean, this guy's got so much money. I, he could have even had a private jet. I've got no idea. Um, but, yeah, I, I personally, I wouldn't want to be taking through hundreds of thousands of pounds worth. But 10, 20 grand, I, I don't think you're going to have an issue with that. And would you um, recommend uh, buying it after you've, like, is it, okay, buying from the uk versus other places i guess that was the question oh in terms uh, of tax yeah yeah so as long as you've got a uk residency then of course you can qualify for the tax exemption so obviously you purchase bullion coins um, as their legal tender there, there's that caveat of british law which means you can't tax the flow of currency so all the gains that you make totally tax-free you don't have to fill out a tax return that means they're totally private as well um, you've just got to have a residency here. It doesn't apply to foreign nationals that don't have one. If you've got a residency here, fine. Um, if not, then it's not going to make a jot of difference to you. Um, but of course, that, that means that you've got that added um, privacy as well, because a lot, a lot of people are in the UK are buying gold or moving to the UK and putting their money in gold for inheritance, tax planning and the like, because as it is private, it gives them that flexibility, should we say, just to put it as diplomatically as, uh, as I can. And does the same for silver or always paying tax on? Silver in the UK, if you want to take delivery of it, you're always going to pay 20% VAT because it's an industrial metal. Gold, I mean, it's been VAT free since 2000. Silver, they'll, they'll never get rid of the VAT on it. So if you take delivery, you've got to wait for the, the silver price to go up 20% before you're even back in the green again. Um, now, if you keep it stored in a bonded vault in Switzerland, in, in Zurich, then you don't have to pay any VAT on it at all. Again, there's no capital gains tax, no VAT, no nothing. You just Why? can't take delivery of it in your hands. But it's just one of those, uh, again, weird exemptions in, in Zurich, the Swiss. I mean, you can keep it there as long as you don't take delivery of it, then they're not going to charge you VAT on it. Um, 
but then again, you've got to pay storage costs. You've got to pay a storage cost at kind of anywhere between uh, one and to one and a half percent a year in order to do it. So, yeah, it's still worth doing, even if you're going to hold it for five or ten years, because you're still going to pay less than you would do paying the twenty percent VAT hit. Sorry, not that this is advice. Sorry. Oh, go ahead, Alan. Not that this is advice in any way. But if you was to um, do what uh, Nick said, that a large amount of silver, you could sell it back to them, buy gold, and there's no tax. Could swap it. You can. Sw- you're absolutely right, Alan. No, not many people even bring that up at all. This is really rare for anybody to bring that up. You can Wait, swap- say it again. So you're, you're. This is the silver stacking and converting to gold strategy, right, Alan? Yes, so you could buy, obviously silver's really, really volatile and it's got great potential. So you could buy a stack of uh, silver, um, put it in some lovely place which uh, isn't taxable like Switzerland, and then when it goes loopy-loo, swap it out for gold and then take your profit. Exactly, yeah. Not that that's advice, of course. No, of course not. You wouldn't be allowed to say that, but I've, I've known people in the past that have done that. Are you? Have you guys sorted a vault in the UK? Yeah, you you can keep it um, in the UK, Jennifer. Again, it's just that you, you can't keep it on in, in the British Isles without paying the VAT. So everyone keeps their gold stored here and their silver stored in Switzerland. Or most people actually just take delivery of their gold at the moment. That's really interesting. Um. Okay, so then moving on to the all right, businesses. So wasn't there a caveat with businesses? So if you wanted to hold, when it comes to taxes, another exemption? Well, no, you're going to pay corporation tax on any profits that you make from gold. If your plan is just to keep it on the balance sheet, ticking away, you don't pay any tax on it until you sell it in a business, and then you'll just pay corporation tax on it. Um, but a, a lot of our business at the moment, I mean, we've seen like a threefold increase this year already of corporations doing this because Andrew, um, Andrew Bailey said, I think it's about a month, six weeks ago, um, that should the banks get into financial difficulty, that the first accounts that will be affected before anybody else will be business accounts uh, and the banks just don't have the capital there to, to, to cover them. I think the statistic you use, they've got about 30 to 40 percent. Um, uh, of capital to cover business accounts, but everything else could potentially be wiped out. And again, that was uh, that's, that's big news going from the head of the Bank of England. So we've seen a lot of people doing it. You don't have to pay tax on the gold as long as you don't sell it. Um, but it's a great hedge for a business bank, uh, sorry, for a business balance sheet because well, it's always going to keep ahead of inflation at a bare minimum. Um, I'd never suggest putting it all into gold if you're going to use that as like working capital, working liquidity. Um, but for any money that you've got sat there in a business doing nothing, losing place to inflation, get that secured in gold, leave it ticking up. It means that the directors of the business don't have to withdraw profits from the company and, and pay, um, uh, obviously, dividend tax and then purchase their gold. Or they can leave it there in the business ticking over. And look, if, if the, the director ever wanted to take personal ownership of that gold, there's nothing to stop the business selling it back to the director uh, at a price that they would deem suitable or their accountant would deem suitable. And look, I'm not an accountant. It wouldn't be my position to say what price um, a business would sell that gold back to a director for. But I've also known that to be the case in the past as well. Um, the, the business needs emergency liquidity. Well, the director's got some cash there. He can buy the physical gold, 
off the business, maybe at a slight discount. Um, so you can probably again infer what what what, what I'm kind of suggesting there. But um, and again, it would have to be reasonable. The accountant would have to sign off on it. Um, but I've known that to happen in the past as well. And it can claim back the uh, VAT, of course, um, on the silver. Yeah, no, that's a good point, Alan. Yes, if, if you're buying silver through a business, you can claim the VAT back on it. So if you're in a lucky position, this is the only exemption. But if you're in a position where you want to take delivery as a business, you can claim all the VAT back. And some people worry, oh, will I be done for VAT fraud, etc. Well, no, I mean, you are buying this silver to head your balance sheet. This is protecting your capital. What other better reason could there be for a business expense? Uh, and I know a lot of people have, have worried about claiming that huge amount of VAT back, particularly if they're buying hundreds of thousands of pounds worth or millions of pounds worth of silver. Um, but it's perfectly legitimate. You can claim it all back. How many, what kind of businesses are doing this right now? You know what, Jennifer, there, there's no hard and fast rule. I've got some consultancy businesses, manufacturing businesses, distribution. I mean, all, all manner and sundry, really. So any kind of, so you're seeing from all stages too, from small to large, not just? Um, not not necessarily very small ones, because obviously they need that capital for, for their business expenses. This is only, and look, I'm not saying the silver price in particular is very, very volatile. So never, ever put money in there that you need for, for short-term liquidity. But it's just those businesses that have got excess reserves that have been sat there for a couple of years. They're doing nothing. They're now massively exposed to this counterparty risk with the banks. And inflation is currently, well, the government will tell you it's 11%. It's not. It's well above 20%. So um, it, it's just if you don't plan on using it, it's sat there doing nothing. Well, hedge it in something that's going to keep ahead of inflation at a bare minimum. Do we know of any companies that are paying employees in gold? I mean, I loved what you said about the director there. I think that's very clever and would be I, highly recommended. <laughs> I, I think that would be that that would be illegal if they were paying their employees in gold. I think because that would mean they're obviously avoiding all the uh, employment taxes and everything else, and circumventing kind of income tax. Yeah, I, I, really? I, I can. I, I would certainly not advocate that. Absolutely not. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose it would it's probably be, if, even if they declared them as or if they were independent contractors, and those contractors would have to you know that was their responsibility for claiming what they yeah i suppose they could but it would be then the contractor's responsibility to declare that tax and if they didn't then obviously hmrc would come down on them like a ton of bricks so yeah yeah um, yeah. yeah it's just interesting to see how the businesses hedge with these metals i mean because imagine you know if you're if you're saving or you're wanting to grow and then this kind of risk that you would have with this looming over your i mean i would I, I, as someone who has been responsible making payroll and paying people mm. i would be very uneasy with trying to keep a payroll and this a bank balance in the bank not that i would necessarily start paying everyone with silver bullion or whatever but you know just to kind of think of ways you know I, I like what you said about the director you know being able to the company buying it and then buying it back that kind of thing um i think we'll probably see more of that but uh okay so moving on to the other questions uh, if you did you want to add something there or no that that's everything no that that i think we've probably we covered that pretty succinctly yeah okay and then everyone's pensions do you have i want to ask this about the us is there a way to convert with our U.S. pension? No, we we don't do that. We haven't got the um, 
we we just haven't got it would it's going to take us about two to three years to actually jump through all the loopholes um to, to enable people to do their iras in it so it's it's only uk clients at the moment with their pensions okay. with with their sips um there is what? so much regulatory kind of jargon that we have to, to jump through in order to do that i mean we're looking into it but it, it's really still in its infancy at the moment jennifer yeah that makes sense. Now, listen, everybody, I'm going to post the link to the, we did a very specific conversation on pensions. So I'll list that link, but very quickly, <clears throat> if you don't mind, talk to us a bit about the SIPs and the process there um, for people that are, you know, catching up uh, and didn't know about converting a pension. Again, really, really easy, um, Jennifer. I can't actually give you the name of the pension provider that we deal with over the phone on a recorded conversation because it would be considered financial advice. Um, we can put, obviously, we can give any of your 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 viewers a kind of list of pension companies that, that are capable of allowing you to put physical gold in um, in their SIP. And obviously, they then go and do their own due diligence on, on those companies and, and find them out um, for themselves. Uh, and then once they're happy um, to, to proceed, they know what they're doing. Um, they've come to it off their own volition and, and they're not being pushed into this then then the pension companies will or the relevant pension companies in the uk that allow you to buy physical gold they set up an account um that'll only take about 20 minutes to do it can all be done online um it takes about two on average about two weeks for those um for the pension company to set up um a new sip for somebody and then as soon as they've done that um they'll suck the funds in um, from a client's existing pension account um, then they send them to us and we just fill it into physical gold bars um, for storage uh, at Loomis in London. I know I probably made that seem a lot more complicated than it needed to be but it's simply a case of calling up a pension provider, setting up an account and then everything after that is done automatically basically because all the pension companies in, in the UK are connected on this faster payment system called Origo um, and as soon as um, the request has been put in, um, they just automatically send the funds over. And then I give, obviously, the client a call up. We get it all locked in. Um, uh, and, yeah, all, your, all the documentation is then sent out. So it actually is very, very simple. It's just having all your details to hand about your existing pension provider and all that boring stuff, your national insurance number and everything else, um, plugging and it all into to an application and then you're done. Yes. So since we spoke to you last, how many are you seeing more people doing the pension thing or? Is, yeah, is... definitely. I, usually, I mean, it used to be a lot. People were kind of putting 20, 30, 40 percent uh, of their pension into gold. I'm seeing lots of people now just put 100 percent of it into gold, um, like the entire lot. They'll leave five grand in liquid cash and now they'll, they'll put it all into gold because they don't know where else to put it. Yeah, the, the equity market, like we were saying earlier, um, I mean, as Alan was saying, if, if they default, that could crash by 35, 40 percent. Well, that's no good if someone's coming to, to retirement age in a year or two, because they're going to have a really uh, a reduced standard of living. Likewise, you can't put it in the bond market because, I mean, they nearly defaulted with that over here in the UK anyway, at least um, at the end of last year. So where else can you put it? Look. If the world has a, I don't know, Russia and America have a big hug and everything's tickety-boo, the world goes back to peace and prosperity and low inflation and everything's great. Well, you've still got your gold. It's going to sit there. It's not really going to do anything. You're still protected. You can always cash out of it and go and buy something else. But who in their right mind actually thinks things are actually going to get any any better in the, in the short term? Um, 
you can't leave it in cash that's inflating away. You can't put it in property. I mean, you've got the highest property prices we've ever seen. So yeah, what so other alternatives do you have? Are we seeing more pension companies creating barriers or making it more difficult to cash out or, you know, more fees or, or is it just becoming more in place? No, I, no, we've not seen that happen. I'm not even with the legacy pension funds. I've not seen them charging anymore. If actually it's, it's the opposite, Jennifer, there's a race to the bottom with, with the traditional pension funds. They're all trying to offer free fees here, there and everywhere and not charge you anything a lot of the time. Um, because, well, they're just putting all these funds into kind of like ETFs and, and tracker funds that, that do their job for them. But then again, if you follow the herd and you do what everybody else is doing, well, you're going to get wiped out with everybody else as well. So, no, we haven't seen fees um, become a major problem at all. Wow. Well, those were my questions that people had asked. So thank you for answering, you know, because those are the when I get personal DMs. Um, I wanted to make sure we address them on the call. And I guess now we're going to go over to the thread. Dr. Paul, hey, how are you? Can I just ask um, Nick about the timetabling he was talking about earlier with um, the CBDCs? I mean, it's, it may well be a claims old idea now that, that our political system will still work. But if things are going to start changing in in or by 2025, then in, as you'll know, in the UK, there has to be a general election, I think by January 2025. Mm -hmm. So um, would, do you think this could potentially be a, a general election issue or do you think both parties are basically singing from the same hymn sheet and it will be a non-issue? That's a really good question, Paul. I think both parties are identical now. They're two sides of the same coin. They're, they're, they're all in the pocket uh, of the WEF. It doesn't matter. Starmer, Sunak, they're all globalists. They're all control freaks. They're all in favour of high taxation, mass immigration. They, it doesn't matter which one you vote for. They're both, it's like a wet dream for both of them. I, I can't see this being any, any different. And I wish it was. I wish we actually had some legitimate opposition that would stand up for this and say what insanity it is. But kind of links back to what you were saying, Jennifer. And look, I'm certainly not a proponent for any political party at all. But um, I think it's the Reclaim Party. They had their bank accounts like closed down. It looked like they were going to become some level of legitimate opposition anyway, even if they won a couple of seats. Um, but Lawrence Fox and his kind of cabal over at, at GB News, well, they've just been denied access to, to bank accounts from every institution. They can't open a bank account. So <laughs> I, don't, I think if you're a kind of more of an anarcho-capitalist, a libertarian, you, you favour kind of small state and individual liberties, they're going to clamp down on you. But as long as you're part of the, the kind of traditional left and right that dominate um, our, our country's politics, well, they're, they're both in favour of it. I mean, there, there's no difference between the two of them. Just a very quick supplementary then. So, um, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I, I reckon that will be the case. So bringing it down then to, you know, mere mortals like us, then what do you think we can do to stop this from happening? I, I generally think people are going to have to rise up and just start mass civil disobedience. I really do. Uh, so people stop paying their taxes. They, they stop paying uh, their utility bills. They get out on the street. I know that sounds insane. And again, I'm certainly not advocating it. Of course not. Um, but I think that's eventually what will happen. Maybe there's going to be a straw that breaks the camel's back where enough people say, you know what, enough's enough. Um, but the reason they're not implementing this um, 
really, really quickly is because, of course, it's, it's death by a thousand cuts or, or that proverbial boiling frog in the pan. They need to just keep turning up the pressure every little bit, like uh, attacking your, your kind of liberties here, there and everywhere, restricting your movements here, more taxation here. Uh, and before you know it, you're dead. But if they were to do this all at once, of course, everyone would throw their arms up in the air and they'd riot. But as long as they just keep taking away little liberties from from everybody, they think they're going to get away with it. So I think that there might come a point where everyone's just like, you know what, the cost of living is insane. You're controlling everything I do. I've got no money to feed my family. Then that that may be the point that, that maybe there is some kind of uprising. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a bit too... <laughs> optimistic about that i mean i it'd be good to see it but the the, the powers that be are going to do everything they can to to keep a lid on that i mean they've even just passed some new laws in relation to to rioting and protest actually um that the police can disperse anybody now and regardless of whether they're they're participating in legitimate protest or not i mean that was one of the first laws that sunak put through actually so look i don't know i i wish i knew the answer well but um I think it's just when enough people say enough's enough. Well, certainly. And I think we will get to that point. We are saying it now, but it's just when it when it really gets to that tipping point. Um, there were there was a question in the channel, uh, you know, uh, from Womble, who's asking about global crash. And do you think that the crash could happen in different countries at different times? And I kind of want to ask with, you know, what we're seeing in the BRICS nations, everybody buying gold, are we to presume that they're just really that fanatic about gold? Or do we think that they just know the system is, you know, have they already had a crash? I mean, what do you think? How do you think this happens? I think it will be the last country to, to go back to a hard money standard, whatever that may may well be, that's going to be wrecked um, the, the quickest. And whether that's the US, they, they try and hold on to the, the, the legacy system of the petrodollar and they refuse to go back to a hard standard. Well, the Chinese and the Russians are doing it. It's going to make your currency worthless. So you're either going to have to jump onto the boat or you're going to sink or you're going to you're going to get wrecked. Um, it, it will be the, the, the countries that have got the least gold, I think. Um, just whoever wants to maintain a, a fiat system, basically. And think about countries like Africa, and you know, that have a lot of gold. Are they going to be better placed, or do you think they'll just be, you know, pillaged for resources? Well, the French have been pillaging them. You've probably seen Le Pen talking about it. The French have been pillaging their gold yeah. for centuries, and they hold a lot of it. They don't actually let the Africans keep their own gold, which is disgraceful. Um, yeah, I, th I think they could be really, really badly affected. Yeah, I mean, it's... And that's why like, I know uh, you. a lot of people uh, think of Bitcoin what you will, but Bitcoin, again, um, it, it is really, really growing in Africa of all places, I think faster than anywhere else in the world. Well, you know what I think about Bitcoin. And yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, I frown on Bitcoin, all right? <laughs> And I know that Ecuador was a royal bust, so I don't know what the headlines are saying. But, you know, the, the people, Ecuador, the, you know, the country that's meant to have gone on Bitcoin is having all kinds of problems. So Bitcoin is not the answer. It is slow and clunky and legacy antiquated tech. Poo, Bitcoin. But <laughs> I 
is showing is that there is a march out of the banking system. I mean, people are looking for whatever they can. And if Bitcoin is the easiest to get their hands on, um, like I said, you know, it might be seashells at one point. Like, the, you know, there just will be all levels of barterability. I mean, on that note, do you you encourage those that can afford it to buy gold and then or stack silver and and, you know, store it? Uh, in their possession, and then what are your thoughts on junk silver and collecting that way, or is that just not relevant? Look, when, at all? Whenever you like history again dictates that whenever you have a, a meltdown, people don't actually go to silver; they always go back to gold. It's the real, true monetary metal. Um, silver always takes second place. Um, that's happened time and time again. So, look, I always think just take delivery of some gold. Have your insurance policy in place. Um, but what's the worst that can happen? It's only just going to appreciate over time. You need to cash it in in the future, then just sell it. Fine. But actually get it in your possession because you never know what's around the corner. Even if there's a 1% chance that you can end up going back to some kind of level of barterability, even for a short period of time, if the markets crash and shut down indefinitely, well, at least you've got five or 10 grand there um, that, that you can uh, pay for things with and that people would accept. And I know people think that cannot happen in a Western nation or Western economy. It has in the past. Um, if, you, if you look back in history, in, in only a short period of time ago in the grand scheme of things. So just get some level of protection in gold. Worry about silver later. It's, uh, it's more of a speculative asset. But yeah, just start with a bit of gold. It's so interesting, Nick, because I love silver as much as gold. And you're like, <laughs> you're yeah. such a gold shiller. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's great. Silver is fantastic as as a, as a speculative form of investment. But if your main concern is just to protect what you're lucky enough to have, um, sure. you're going to get that to a greater extent with gold. Now, the upside potential for silver over a five or ten year time period, well, it's it's, it's a lot higher. It is like in the seventies, the silver price went up two thousand six hundred percent, whereas the gold price only did a thousand percent, and that was in an, an, an era of kind of hyper well not hyperinflation but rampant inflation um and if you had if you could if you were patient enough to sit on silver for that length of time i mean you could have earned a hell of a lot of money um, sure. but most of my clients are i think are more kind of steady eddies and and are far more conservative but then again i've got some clients that will put everything into silver and won't buy any gold it's horses for courses really oh that's funny so, so you need a um a gold plated baseball bat to survive and uh, silver as Mooney. <laughs> They're plating all sorts of gold things now in, in, in London. If you go into Harrods, you can get gold plated everything. Oh, that's interesting. Do you think that has any value? Oh, no, no, not at all. It's just a just blingy, isn't it? It's just a show off. But um, <laughs> no, absolutely. I wouldn't recommend anyone buy their gold that way. No. Well, I wanted to ask about... Uh, when you with the fractional gold you know you're saying that people should just hold what they can can you just talk because i some people say that like that doesn't have the value or the premiums are higher with fractional gold these are smaller bits about you know and you know just that kind of point yeah absolutely like i i always encourage people to if they're going to hold it for the long term they want to take possession you're going to hold it for four five six years Yes, get some fractional gold, get some tiny little ones. You can get them the si kind of size of a five pence piece if you want them. Um, yes, they're more expensive. They are. But 
if the gold price does triple in the next four or five years, they're going to give you far more liquidity. You're actually going to be able to sell them back at a far more competitive price than, say, one giant gold bar or one giant gold coin. So a lot of people ask this, oh, I want a, a kilogram gold bar, 55 grand. And I said, well, look, if you try to sell that back five or six years down the line, you're going to be selling it for a price that's actually below the gold price because no one's going to want to take it off your hands. You're selling it to a very, very small kind of esoteric group of people that are going to want to buy it. So your buyback price isn't going to be great. It's not going to be liquid. Whereas, of course, if you've got something smaller, yes, you paid a little bit more for it, but you're not going to be melting those coins down. Yeah, you probably get four or five percent more gold. But you're not going to be melting them down uh, and making a statue out of them. Of course, I'd never suggest you buy fractional gold for that. But it's all relative because when you sell that fractional gold back in the future with any substantial increase in the gold price, you're going to be selling it back actually for a far more competitive rate. So it's all relative. But yeah, you're taking delivery. You want to hold it for the long term, Jennifer. I'd certainly suggest get some fractional gold. Oh, it's easier for barterability too. Absolutely, you can't go chopping a gold bar into like ten pieces and giving away little bits of it. It just it's totally impractical. You know, you would hate my collection. This <laughs> is the clothes and everything you you like speak against you know the queen's beast the collection anyway i think it's uh it's really interesting and i i um i'm so glad that we got to have this conversation today if anybody had a last minute question uh your chance alan thank you for joining thank you uh dr paul for asking your question vicky thank you again i don't know if you're there um any last words no just um absolutely fascinating and you know I've, I've, uh, uh, a lot of feedback coming back from people i know personally outside who's joined in today and stuff so um i'm going to be editing this straight away and it will be up on the podcast because it's super super important and i've got nothing else to do this evening uh just to <laughs> let you know well there's one more question from womble that i miss and womble listen if i i tried to address all your questions in our conversation um, so as you're listening back, if there's anything I missed, just let me know for next time. But she wants to know with on the point of traveling, you know, because uh, she had a few questions that we had we were speaking about in our conversation around transporting gold and, and, you know, can you ship everywhere? Yes, you can. But if you were to buy and then have to transport it, is there a, um, a container or something, you know, that you're seeing now where it is non-detectable that you're carrying metals? Oh, gosh. Um <sighs> No, I've not seen one. I'm sure you could probably build one and you could tuck them into a part of your car that no one would ever find. But um, I've had a lot of people actually in the past, I know they do this to hide their gold, but they'll sew it into pillows or doorstops and they'll hide it in plain sight, large amounts of gold, because what criminal would ever think about going through pillows? Um, but I don't know, I'm, I'm sure you could probably... Uh, sew it into a, a pouch in a bag or, or what have you I'd, look if you're flying by plane Is obviously there... not but um i've never seen a device or contraption like that no oh come on this someone i wish needs i had expensive. and i had a better answer for you there but no I, <laughs> I haven't well we need one of those briefcases with like a secret compartment or a duffel bag <laughs> you know, that has non-detectable metal because yes I mean, I'm wondering if an RFID, maybe a copper, 
RFID shield or I don't know. I'm, I'm always thinking about copper right now. Uh, but yeah, okay, that's something interesting. There's no container then you would recommend to, uh, you know, keep them undetected. No, I, I don't know of one. So just a safe and a secure place then, so you don't lose them, I guess. Yes, yeah, just keep them in little tubes, um, transport <laughs> them that way. We've never had any. We've never had any any reason for people to need to hide them. Um, but again, you don't know what's around the corner. But um, long story yeah, well, short, no, I don't. We're in a time where this kind of stuff is going to be questioned, and you know, walking around with thousands of dollars, you know, you know, from point A to point B, people are worried of getting stopped and what to say. And sure, there's nothing wrong with moving your own money, your gold and silver, but you can understand the concern people have that just, you know, they don't want to lose it and then they don't want to be tracked and questioned. I mean, isn't it like a $10,000 cap through an airport? I've not heard of it, Jennifer, no, because I've, I've had this chat take a large amount, but um, I, th I know they just change the rules all the time. Um, okay. Look, I wouldn't want to take it on a plane anyway. If you're traveling via ferry or on a channel tunnel or you're driving, absolutely, it's brilliant. But um, I, I wouldn't personally want to take huge amounts of gold. Um, but the guys that I do know that have done it, even a couple that have flown out to Vietnam, they've not had an issue. But again, every country's got different rules. Um, if you're in doubt, just keep it in storage with us. I mean, the other thing is you have to show like proof of receipts. So are you recommending everybody when purchasing to keep their receipts? Because isn't there quite, could there be not a, you know, questions around where this was accumulated and, you know, they be acute, you know what I mean? Because I mean, it's always a good idea in, in to keep them. Yeah. If obviously anybody did want to know, but it's not, Look, you, it's private. It's in your possession. I mean, yeah. nobody's going to know where the hell it's gone. And if you want to right. destroy these receipts, you can. But um, it's always good to have them on file, yeah. Sure. All right, guys. Well, if you're looking for a place to get gold and silver or if you want to convert your pension into physical gold and silver, please write Nick directly or check out the link we put in the, the thread. Um, you know, tell them that, you know, Jennifer's telegram <laughs> sent you. Um, but we're just we're, we're here trying to answer questions on this. I like Nick's matter of fact and way of speaking. And it's it's always good to kind of catch up and have these conversations. Conversations. Alan, thank you very much for your contribution. Guys, Pleasure. it's been a blast. <laughs> uh, good to speak to you all again. And um, yeah, I look forward to doing another another one with you, Jen. Yes. Thank you, Nick. Thank you all. Pleasure, well guys. Take care. Bye.